0: From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. A North Kingstown nonprofit that helps malnourished children around the world got a big boost last year. The Bezos family gave Adesia Nutrition nearly $140 million. Here to tell us about Adesia and what the nonprofit plans to do with the money is its founder and CEO, Navin Salem. Our conversation after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Welcome back. We're here with Navin Salem, the founder and CEO of Adesia Nutrition. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ed. To start with, can you describe what Adesia Nutrition is and what it does?
1: So we are a nonprofit social enterprise with the mission to end malnutrition. And we do that through the manufacturing of a whole range of fortified foods, mostly uh, peanut butter type fortified foods that are used to treat all the stages of malnutrition. And we work with UNICEF, the World Food Program, and the U.S. government to make sure that they are distributed through countries that are most in need through the Middle East, Sub-Saharan Africa, and Latin America.
0: So plumpy nut is a highly fortified peanut butter given to the most severely malnourished children, right? Why is it the right food for these situations? Is, Is it refrigeration, it doesn't require refrigeration?
1: Right, so plumpy nut is the exact amount of calories, nutrition, vitamins and minerals, micro and macronutrients that are able to rehabilitate a child over about an eight week period. So we're not only trying to make sure that they live, but we're delivering the micronutrients that they need for that cognitive brain development, which is something that can never be taken away from them. So they need that in order to go to school and pretty much everything else in their future. This is all evidence-based. You know, it's kind of governed by the World Health Organization and the United Nations agencies that are purchasing this from Medicia. And so they're really behind, you know, the decision makers there. Does it taste any good? Yeah, it has to taste good. So children, even if they're in a state of an emergency, are still picky. Hmm. And so having it taste good is mandatory or it's not going to work.
0: And and describe the impact of a, a child that has some plumping out after a few weeks.
1: Even after a few minutes. When I enter a malnutrition clinic, it is silent. And it's silent because these kids literally aren't able to move. Hmm. And so when the nurses come around and those packets of plumpy nut are handed out and the children start to eat it, within minutes, they're sitting up. They're communicative. They're engaging with you, you know, looking in your eyes. And that is something that is remarkable every single time I see it. Now, if you look several weeks later, if there's a room that has children with moderate acute malnutrition versus severe, it's completely night and day. So you can see that kind of medium-term impact in a greater way as well.
0: I saw you interviewed by Drew Barrymore, and you told her that you started this effort because of your father. Tell us about him.
1: Yeah, so my my dad, my grandparents, and my great-grandparents are all from Tanzania. So originally from India, but in the 1800s moved over to Tanzania as dairy farmers. So I grew up understanding, you know, what life was like for him in Tanzania Um, My grandmother had six children. Two died before the age of two. And so that's the community that we're dealing with on a daily basis, is really those children under the age of five that are the most vulnerable. And growing up, understanding the challenges that exist every single day in the Global South is something that, uh, as I became a mother, I realized that that was a, a demographic that was very important to me personally, and, and that's the reason that I get up every morning still to this day and, uh, and continue this fight.
0: So Rhode Island PBS recently aired a profile of Adesia and they spoke to Andrew Kamara, your VP of Operations. Let's listen to what he had to say about your employees. Many, many of my colleagues have been through the same path as me. They've lived in refugee camps. They were once hopeless, not knowing Um, where help was gonna come from. And today they're in a position of giving back to those same refugee camps. They take that job very, very seriously. So tell us more about the personal connection a lot of your employees have to this work.
1: Yeah, so our employees come from about 26 different countries. and and you have the flags up, right? Yes, we have flags. Yeah, not even to where we deliver, but where all our people come from. And to me, this is, this is not a, a charity. This is good for business. You know, hiring from a community that is directly related to the work we do is smart business. And so no one can understand more the importance of our mission, the importance of the urgency, the need to deliver and find a way amongst all the roadblocks and the challenges that we come upon every day to figure out how to get these foods out as quickly and as safely as possible to the people who need it. And that's a very important part of our story since day one and continues to be.
0: So D.C. recently made headlines in the Globe for a gift from the Bezos family. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so we were very fortunate. You know, I've spent a lot of the last two years traipsing the the Globe, speaking to groups, and and always hoping that there's one person in the room who is understanding what I'm trying to accomplish. And this comes at a very interesting time where— Since Ukraine, and now, you know, all the increasing global challenges that we have between increasing wars and conflicts and climate change, those are the two main drivers of of malnutrition. And so, the U.S. government really stepped up and the world stepped up in funding these types of products that we make at Odyssea. And so, at the same time, we weren't getting funds to scale up the infrastructure to make more of these products. the Bezos gift came at a time where everything else was coming together, where we we're really on the cuff of being able to solve this problem. And so this gift was really important to support the Edesia manufacturing and what we need, the, the actual machines that we need to put in place and the warehouse and the, all of the basic things that we need in order to really ramp up the scale that the world is calling for. Right yeah, now. what
0: will the funding allow you to do?
1: So we will do a lot of things. Some some are building up the scale. So we're adding a warehouse um, that we didn't have. We're adding a, a pro- some production lines, We're adding a quality lab. But mostly, we're doing some really new things, too. And we're funding research for the first time. And Mm. so we're working with a lot of the big international NGOs to further efforts to be able to make sure that we're reaching more children and really solving this problem.
0: You said you want to focus more on the prevention of malnutrition. What will that look like?
1: Yeah. So right now, as much as I'm proud of the efforts that Adesia has made, I also can reflect very honestly and look back and say... Are we really doing this in the smartest way possible? So right now, a child comes to a clinic and is literally unable to sit up and is using every bit of energy they have to stay alive and keep their hearts beating. Why? Why are we letting children come in at this stage? And what if we intervened sooner? If you look at the situation in Gaza, for example, a war breaks out and for months we're not called in. You're deliberately waiting. And we're not part of the first responders. We're really called in, in general, after 60 days. Hmm. And so children are getting worse and worse by the day. And so we're trying to save their lives. And maybe saving lives sounds like, uh, like more sexy and uh, it's easier to raise money, but it's not good for children. And so what we're trying to do is say, we need to do prevention. We know how to do it. We don't have the funding to do it. But we're going to build the capacity. We want to shift the whole philosophy to intervening earlier. It's better for children economically, morally, ethically. Everything about it is better for the health of children. So if we're really thinking about that first, that's got to be our priority.
0: Tell me more about the research that you're planning to conduct and how, how would it move the needle?
1: Yeah, so we have the scientific evidence already that the preventative products that we make can reduce mortality by 31%. Okay. Also, logic tells you the same thing, right? Um, so I understand the need for studies, but I also understand that like, I, we can also use common sense to figure this out as well. But the programs have to be developed. How do we operationalize it, right? So I respect that there's a system that has to be put in place in order to get that out. So they're going to wait for more studies to be done and more. And I'm like, mm, you know, how can we fast track this? How can someone be working on this part while in parallel we're working on this part? And I was even talking to the World Food Program last week, and even they were like, tell us more. And I was like, you guys do this every day. We just, you know, we really just need to be on the same page here. Sometimes you need someone from the outside to to push you a little bit more and challenge this situation because we get comfortable. We don't think we're comfortable, but we are more comfortable than we should be.
0: Hmm. You're expanding your production line and all, but at the same time is the problem that you're trying to address getting larger? I mean, we've got Ukraine, we've got Gaza, the, this war, this climate change. I, is the problem growing?
1: The problem is growing in terms of the number of conflicts and, and for sure climate change. Both are growing. At the same time, I know that Edesia, we doubled last year. We doubled the amount of food that we made, which means it translates directly into doubling the amount of children we reached. So that was children with full treatment, we reached 5 million children last wow. year. Wow. And you
0: were able to do that before the Bezos money? It, oh, just
1: We did that by, by adding the weekends. So we went to 24-7 instead of 24-5 huh. and that added, you know, 40% more. We also did add some equipment, but the majority was done by hours and people because the scale-up was required so quickly. Yeah. But that then causes a lot of other challenges along the supply chain. So we're really, were able to use the Bezos money to really make this more of a long-term sustainable uh, manufacturing process. Yeah,
0: talk about some of those logistical challenges.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of logistics challenges, and e- every container I feel like could tell its own story, um, depending on what country it's trying to get through. I mean, we we have trucks that we deliver in Sudan, and we need to hire armored truck drivers. And we're watching for rainy seasons and when there's flooding. And so we have to be extremely creative when we are shipping something directly to a hospital or something like that. But for the most time, we are relying on the experts. So UNICEF and World Food Program are clearly logistics (laughs) experts who are supporting in that way as well.
0: So in August, you testified during a United Nations Security Council meeting chaired by Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Let's take a listen.
1: We control the conflicts. We, right here in this room, just as we decide to wage war, we can decide to end war.
0: So tell us more about the message you were delivering to the UN.
1: You know, if you had to choose between climate change and ending conflicts, right, there's a lot of people who are working on both issues, and and climate change is something that's going to take many, 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 many years to be able to reverse the damage that we've created already. And the wars, I know I'm oversimplifying, but they are human decisions that are made every day to continue these conflicts versus figuring out resolution. Now, they're enormously complex, but children are always the ones who suffer. And those babies around the world are not to blame for the problems that we create as the adults in the room. And so my job is to make sure that we are supporting those young children, but also to demand better and more from those who are sitting in that case around the United Nations Security Council table to say, this is on us. And I had to look in the eyes of Russia and China and the United States and And all of these powers that that have the decision every single day to make the right choice that is the best for children. In
0: your speech, you mentioned meeting a two-year-old that weighed the same as your newborn daughter. Where did you see that two-year-old and how did that change you?
1: I saw that on my very first trip to Tanzania, and I see it on every subsequent trip since. Being able to compare a child to your own in that moment, you can't unsee that. And the fact that we have all the tools in the world to solve these problems and we're not doing more is unacceptable. It is our responsibility to do more and to do better and to take the knowledge that we have and the tools that we have and fix the problem like honestly even me i've been doing this for 15 years even what i have done is not good enough it's not we need to solve the problem and i it can't take another decade this is the impact of what this gift can do is like i want to fund research that can move the needle now not in 10 years like i don't have the patience for 10 years nor do children who are sitting in gaza or sitting in ukraine they don't have the the capacity to wait anymore. And so we we need to do we need to do more and better and demand action. Yeah, yeah. And besides
0: helping children around the world, you also have a product for children here in the United States, right? Tell us about that.
1: Well, mm, kind of. I mean, so In COVID, we realized that the U.S. had a problem, and so children not going to school. So we developed a very simple—it's peanut butter. We do some of that. Listen, we're here for the U.S. if they need us. We think a lot of the time they don't. You know, Afghanistan doesn't—and Yemen don't have a backup plan. We are the safety net, and the products that we make are the only ones. If you think about it in terms of this, remember a couple of years ago when there was the um, baby formula shortage— Right, this caused yeah, that was nationwide yeah, yeah, yeah. panic. Yep. We started flying it in from Australia, yep. like, really, or Europe, right? Yeah. And so mothers were panicking, and no one said, "Look, well, why don't you just feed your baby cookies?" Hmm. No, formula is the only thing that these babies, for for many many reasons, Plumpy Nut is the equivalent to that for hmm. children around the world. So you can't put in something else in place of that. So recognizing that, imagine if you're the formula supplier for a lot of the world, you have to prioritize that. So the US, we're here if they need us. But those countries like Venezuela and and Sudan that are really struggling, that's where we've got to keep our priorities.
0: So I know you have four daughters. How connected are they to this
1: work? So they grew up coming with me not by choice. Um, they used to say, Mom, why can't we go to Florida for vacation like everybody else? And I said, Because you can't tell me a story about Florida, but you can tell me a story about Haiti or Sierra Leone or Guatemala. And so they could. And grew you brought up, them to all those places. Oh, mm-hmm, for their spring breaks, yes, as much. They still give me a lot of trouble for that. But <laughs> I, I wanted them to grow up knowing what the real world looked like, that solutions are possible that I have high expectations of them to find their way, whatever it might be in the world, and to not be afraid of the world. So a few of them are taking global health and studying environmental science and things that are, in, in their own interpretation, ways that, that they can help the world. Yeah, anymore.
0: what do they think about what their mother does after they get over the spring break?
1: I think like everyone else, like I'm the most annoying person in their life. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, I, they've grown up this way. I mean, I started when they were one, two, and the twins were, were five. So, no, they think I'm annoying like everybody else.
0: So what can our listeners do to help the children that you're trying to reach?
1: You know, I have people who email me about a certain country, and they're like, I just read about such and such a place. What are you doing there? I get those messages all the time. Oh. And so I, I work with people to say, if this is an interest to you, we have all the connections of partners on the ground. And so we will we will work with individuals to be able to do that. You know, you can, you can come for a tour or even do a virtual tour to learn about how we make the foods that we make and kind of meet the people behind the scenes. Like that staff we talked about from 24 countries is a fascinating group of oh, people. Oh, people can get
0: a tour of the plant in, in Quonset yeah, if, if they want definitely. to. definitely. And the new year just started. So what is Adesia's goal for 2024?
1: This is a year of growth for us. So we won't see any changes in terms of output, but we're putting in all of these new capacities to help us also lower price. So... Every time we can lower by a penny, it's meaning we're reaching more kids for the same dollars. Hmm. So we're actually building a train station that will now pull up to the Odyssey factory. This allows us Down to. Down in Quantit,
0: bring... you're getting a, a new
1: yep. set of tracks? New set of tracks. Wow. And so we will be bringing in raw materials in larger quantities. So, you know, we used to have raw materials in 50 pound boxes, and then we went to 2,000 pound super sacks. And now we're moving to silos that are eight stories high to be able to bring our raw materials in we can save you know thousands of, of dollars on each shipment and we're taking trucks off the road which is good for the environment
0: i saw that drew barrymore presented you with a giant check at the end of her show we don't have one of those but tell me the truth this was a lot more fun wasn't it
1: this was way more fun ed you are the best
0: Maven <laughs> <laughs> salem thank you for the work you're doing at Adesia and thanks for joining us today thanks ed Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall with help from Carlos Munoz and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week.